Hey folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Scent of a Woman, directed by Martin Brest, Showgirls by Paul Verhoeven, we have newly released The Bad Guys by Pierre Parafel, Operation Mincemeat by John Madden, and Men, directed by Alex Garland. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Mr. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Thomas, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. How was your uh, week of movies, man? Uh, good. Uh, week uh, was was very good. Uh, excited because I was able to watch a good amount of new releases, which is always nice yeah. to, to to get the get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also really excited to talk about nearly all of these films. I mean, I think it was uh, a little bit all over the place, but a very enjoyable week uh, of watching for me. So. Yeah, I'm excited for some of these movies here. And you're right, like yeah, three new ones, mm-hmm. which is kind of mm-hmm. rare, because last week we were kind of at the bottom of the we barrel. We were scraping the barrel, yeah. <laughs> I had to go back and look at Netflix releases, and technically <laughs> Mincemeat was last week, but I think it was good that we did the, the King special, and uh, that, that was... Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no. That worked conceptually. Yeah, I like so. it a lot. Okay, so we're going to get started here. We're back in 1992. Uh, this is a pretty well-known movie. This is Scent of a Woman uh, by Martin Brest, you know, of course, with Al Pacino. And <laughs> almost exclusively Al Pacino in this movie. And I think uh, even if you haven't watched the movies, if you you would recognize some of the lines for sure. Oh, absolutely, uh, iconic and very memorable. Yeah, for definitely. That reason. Yeah. But what do we get here, Vin, with uh, with Scent of a Woman? Uh, so yeah, starting off with a big one. Uh, Martin Brest, uh, I would say, is a very odd. Has a very odd directing career. Uh, probably has only directed. Actually, fit five to like six features, uh, and and that's under his belt. When it comes to what he directs, it's Beverly Hills Cop, Midnight Run, mm. Meet Joe Black, uh, but also his last directing uh, gig is Geely uh, with J Lo, the the accursed, yeah, yeah, and then he just stops. I mean. I had to double check to make sure he just wasn't dead afterwards. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> he just didn't die from the uh, from the embarrassment of that film. But <laughs> but yeah, very odd. Uh, this uh, is a interesting feather in his cap, though, because uh, while his career ends later on, towards the end of the nineties and the two thousands, early two thousands, he has a pretty good run here. Uh, I mean, even first Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, I'm, no. I'm not a massive fan of it, but that's pretty iconic for him. Yeah, you know? It's a big movie. It's a big movie. Absolutely, absolutely. Scent of the Woman is about a kid named Charlie, uh, played by 22-year-old Chris O'Donnell, Robin himself. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. call him Robin. Uh, but he's, this... he's Robin to me for Batman Forever. I but... always kind of wonder where he came from. 
Um, because he's never a big actor. He's still not yeah. in a lot of things. Like I don't think he has the best acting He's chops. like in NCIS, I think, or one of those TV Yeah, he was know, a while shows. for that. Yeah. But is this, was he, like, he's pretty damn young here. Yeah, and, actually 22 years old. Uh, and oh, okay. uh, a lot of uh, young actors in general on this on this role. Okay. Uh, and, this, and that really fits into the prep school environment. Uh, Charlie belongs to a prep school where many of his student comrades get him into trouble. Uh, this adds to a background conflict that is touched on in the film really just as the book ends. At the beginning of the film, we kind of deal with this prep school drama, and at the end of the film, we deal with this prep school drama. Instead, in the sizable... You know, almost two hours and forty minute runtime of this mm. film is depicted as him being essentially a babysitter for Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade, a eccentric blind man <laughs> played by the colossal Al Pacino. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, this is uh, this is Al Pacino's movie. I mean, he got the Oscar for it here. Uh, it is a a colossal role. I really mean that. It, yeah. It is, I mean, he just is steamrolling every scene, <laughs> and really, when he's on screen, he just is 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 just at a mile a minute. He just does not stop acting. You know, in a good, it, in a good way. In a good way. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's definitely a blown out character. It is. Um, it could be even considered a little hammy uh, for for how much he's he's really he's really um, creating such a unique uh, or eccentric character behind this uh, this military vet this blind military vet. But wow, it is it is something else. <laughs> I mean, you're you're watching this about like thirty minutes in and. There's always uh, probably a good handful of lines that you would say are probably some of the most iconic lines that uh, Al Pacino, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> would, would ever utter. So uh, it's very interesting. The movie is uh, very 90s uh, with this in line. Appears like Dead Poet Society, Goodwill Hunting, School Ties, which is okay. another Chris O'Donnell movie that he does, I think, either in the same year or very, very close to it. All of this has that early 90s prep school kind of we're going to tell a moral story there's going to be emotion to it and there's going to be a bow on top sure, at the yeah. end you know that uh, is very seen uh, that is seen very clearly in the soundtrack as well the soundtrack here is very curious it's very playful and once again you hear it and immediately you're like oh yeah this is early 90s for sure it feels so, like 92 absolutely does it just sound like like hanging on to a little bit of the 80s in some way uh no if anything it's like I don't know. I, I mean, I can't. I uh, I'm not a you know okay, composer right. or anything <laughs> like that. It just it just feels very uplifting, if anything. Okay, you know, all right, it's yeah. orchestrated, uplifting, curious, playful. You know, and if anything, that's a good match for these type of school or academic environments. You know, uh, these movies are all coming of age dramas in some way. They're almost feel good emotional dramas and structures. Uh, the younger actors here are decent. Uh, they aren't given really a huge amount of screen time. Uh, a podcast fave, fave. We have uh, young Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. in this, uh, <laughs> who is uh, uh, great in everything. Yeah, yeah, and and even in this, I mean, I don't know how young he is. I, I did the math on Chris O'Donnell's age uh, 
uh, acting in this, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine he's much older because he kind of just looks like a shrunken down version of himself, but he just has the same head. <laughs> yes. So yeah. this is very odd. Because um, 92, I mean, this is before uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, absolutely. We're, yeah, Any we're... kind of in the, an interaction there. Yeah, so. yeah. But yeah, uh, quickly, uh, the story dedicates itself to this one-on-one time between Chris O'Donnell and uh, Al Pacino. And there's a lot there that it's, I mean, it's it's what is to love about this movie. I think it is a little bit of a distraction uh, to have this plot of of the actual kids be bookended on each side. For going into this film, I thought Pacino was going to be more so in a best supporting role for this, but he is, I guess, top build uh, on the yeah. actor, and and he got the Oscar for uh, lead actor as well. So, and after uh, watching it, totally agree, right? As far as far as. Yeah, I mean the story, screen time and everything. Yeah, the story itself is kind of more so about the kid, but okay. screen time alone. I mean, Pacino not only is dominating the screen when he's on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he almost almost not giving people a chance to act, <laughs> both by his character and how he's an aggressor. I, this is what you but, said about. I, I think this is what you said about Tom Cruise in a, in a Few Good Men. <laughs> yes, it was just yeah, like yeah, you got to let other people in here. Yeah, and uh, luckily Pacino. I mean, he's he's almost endlessly entertaining. In right. This, so I think it's it's a little bit more enjoyable to it, but. <laughs> But yeah, uh, it's uh, he just he just really he, steamrolled is <laughs> is the phrase here. So Chris isn't terrible in this uh, being in this one on one kind of babysitter role to uh, a, a blind man. He's very simple, but is able to crack out emotion when it's needed. My issue is more so in the emotional intelligence of the character, how he reacts, his responses. There's some heavy subject matter tackled in this. Uh, obviously, Pacino yeah, being have a to blind be. man. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's a, a little bit too much to ask for a child in the 90s, but also like a character that's supposed to be a child, a 17-year-old child in yeah. the 90s, to have the same emotional intelligence as today in dealing with maybe like a depression or something like that. Mm. But it just comes off like so naive sometimes in... In, you know, again, if anything, it's just, it's highlighted because Pacino is acting his pants off. And then O'Donnell is just, just so simple, so straightforward. Is he just lackluster, basically? It's lackluster. I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, I think that's, it's appropriate because it's. That's what the character is, right? Yeah. Because kind yeah. of it's just a 17 year old who's. Doesn't like have said, experiences of the world. and you Right, know, like you said, is, it's just a babysitter for yeah. a, an adult male yeah, who's yeah. blind. But it, it's in those emotional moments that he, it, just, it just comes off a little bit unbelievable that he, someone would respond oh, I see. this way. Uh, even A 17-year-old or not, you know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. Uh, when, when even the stakes are even explained in kind of black and white and plain terms to the character himself. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit rough, but the, I mean, luckily the same. <laughs> Grace, it really is Pacino's show, and he is a powerhouse in this. Like I said, I mean, we are not even 30 minutes into this, and he is just line after like almost every line he says <laughs> that comes out of this man's mouth is amazing. I mean, he is so ridiculous, he's so outrageous, and it's all extremely entertaining. I mean, if you are a Pacino fan, 
if you like his freakouts, uh, his yelling, I mean, I think restraint is not a word that I would use to describe this film. <laughs> but at the same time, it's it's extremely enjoyable, and I think... And it uh, works. Yeah, it works. It works. I think I could be really critical of this type of performance, almost like how I would be critical of Leo in ways, and just say, oh, it's just yelling. But again, there's almost a... I mean, it's just nonstop. Right. It's just it, there. There's almost a dedication that comes in that every <laughs> single moment with this guy, he is on blast. I mean, it's eleven. The uh, Pacino is cranked up to eleven. It does sound here. enjoyable. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I think uh, Pacino is is not only the saving grace of this film, but really, uh, I think uh, pulls it much higher than it than I normally would be with a story of this uh, of of this type, uh, especially with the peers that I could recommend, like a Goodwill Hunt. Thing that mm-hmm. would be a must-watch in my in my yeah, you know, opinion. It really so. is, yeah. Uh, you are entranced <laughs> on what kind of wild stuff is going to come out of his mouth next. Uh, a massive amount of uh, screen time is put on this just this crazy horn dog blind savant <laughs> of a man. It rides a little bit of a line of unbelievability. I, I think early on there's a. Almost a, a slight game that you're wondering, is this guy actually blind with how much he can guess and how much he's been around the block uh, and he can kind of guess from intuition right. and things like that? There's there's nothing like that flirted with the with the actual story of if he's blind or not. So that was more so kind of my interpretation of it. But it sometimes it, it just <laughs> it's like he'll guess something. And it's like there is no way a blind man would understand. That. I mean, <laughs> okay, all right. I don't care if he you know he's a 26 the character he's a 26 year military veteran. You know what I mean? Like I. I guess you could argue that, <laughs> like... He's just picking up on re- some ridiculous yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you could argue his, his senses are more keen. Right, You right. know, he's more trained. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's sometimes like, well, are you, you know, just omniscient <laughs> at this point? <laughs> like, he just, he's just all-knowing Pacino, so... <laughs> I just think there is uh, so much time to, to dedicated to this on screen. It's just flat-out impressive how much non-stop acting Pacino does. I mean, it really is just, there, there's not a moment he's not, he, he, you know, we, we talk about sometimes, oh, this actor got a check. I mean, it's, I think it's been a while. You got to probably go back to our episodes in November and, and October where I was saying, you know. Someone, I can remember, <laughs> yes. <laughs> getting a check, you know. I, uh, I think you said that with J.K. Simmons in The Tomorrow War. <laughs> oh, yeah, he got a check there. Absolutely. Yeah. I love J.K., but. <laughs> I think we even said about it with Keanu in the new Matrix uh, movie. Yeah, that was that was bingo, bingo. Um, and, and believe me, you know that's that's maybe a little bit of a of a catty kind of criticism, but this is the exact opposite of that. I mean, there is no way you can he argue. He came to work. Here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he is working his ass off on this. So uh, it really is a well deserved win for Pacino and. Honestly, if this was just his performance alone, uh, I have no doubt that this movie would be in the mid-80s for me as far as a score uh, for that. Uh, But there are some issues for me. I think, one... The tone of the subject matter is a bit odd for a modern-day watch. Uh, Slade, uh, as a character, suffers Mm -hmm. from depression with this blindness. uh, And the immense legacy that he had before being blind, and and obviously unpacking that of of how that happened to his character and whatnot, that's, that's very much a part of the story. Uh, But it goes back to what I said, you know, while I don't expect a 17-year-old 
in a story that actually takes place in the 90s to have the emotional intelligence as a 17-year-old today, right. it still feels just very odd how he reacts to some of what Slade gives him, uh, Charlie as a character. Oh, like over the top or underperforming? Like Way under. 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 Almost uh. like, like because, and, and if anything, again, it's highlighted because Pacino is just so on blast. It's like, wow, it's it, there's there's no ping pong. There's yep. no volley back right, and forth. Right, which we talk about a lot. Yeah, and uh, I gotta say, the upside side is that Pacino if anything you want Chris O'Donnell to leave the screen because P- Pacino can really just, just be in the room more. himself okay. and and it's like perfectly fine like it's <laughs> it's great if anything <laughs> but uh there is there is a serious kind of dropped ball when it comes to the other side so uh, and i think that plays into the characterization of the char- uh, of of the role itself because we're we're not talking about Things that a seventeen-year-old boy could not comprehend. By seventeen, he has he has encountered sadness yes. in some way. Right, right. You know what I mean? Sure. So, and that's why I say, I mean, obviously, watching in a modern day, I can't maybe demand the same type of intelligence that a character would have in you know in a twenty a story actually set in twenty twenty. Right, especially when um, it, especially around that subject matter where it's yeah. just so much talked about and kind of in the culture. A exactly, bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I just feel like it's 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 very odd and. And it spotlights even further just how O'Donnell is not anywhere close to Pacino's acting. The conflict as well. The movie, it is... It is just, it lacks some stakes. Things resolve themselves so easily, almost with a perfect bow tie on it. And I'm not even just talking about the the main arc of the film. Almost every little beat of tension or stakes, it's all just resolved very, very easily. Uh, and listen, if this is supposed to be more of a feel-good environment mm-hmm. uh, for this kind of coming-of-age story, I think that's fine. I think it is to the detriment of the engagement we have with the plot, uh, there's a you know a perfect scene where Pacino is doing something a blind man very well shouldn't, and that is driving a car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's just so lighthearted. There's never a moment that I'm like, oh, these people are actually in danger. You know, what I mean, it's just so yeah. like okay, feel gotcha. good and nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and listen, early '90s, you're gonna get that. Uh, it's certainly not a main fault with the film, but I think it's what distract detracts it for me. From being something that I say, oh, you gotta watch this, yep. you know what I mean? Because that's not gonna land with a lot of modern audiences. So. No, absolutely. And even my own, uh, I kind of, I was very easy to spot for me uh, watching in modern day as well. Okay. So. Like I said, though, Pacino alone makes this movie a great watch and a full recommendation from me, but uh, I cannot ignore a lot of factors that detract from this. Uh, young adult acting, weak stakes, and ease of the resolution are all sizable knocks, enough to knock it a little bit out of what I was feeling emotionally, you know, I walk away with like, oh, I feel one way about this film, but I have to kind of reel it back and be logical here of what was I was feeling is a lot higher, but I think in an end result and in the execution, we're going to go ahead and give Scent of a Woman a 78. Ooh, 78, okay. But very good, a very oh good my score. Yeah. A 78 is a very good score. It's exactly. a great movie. But I think uh, there's enough knocks to knock it specifically below 80. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and again, I can't stress. that 85. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, and I can't stress again, you know, I mean, 
Pacino alone, if I just uh, went with my emotions yes. and how much I really just loved Pacino and his character in you, this, it would, it would, it would be... easy 80s, easy, you know, mid 80s. But uh, I have to be, you know, kind of logical here and there are some faults to Well, yeah, it's what the I film is at, as, as a total. Yeah. Exactly. And, but exactly. still, 78 is a very good movie. Oh, a absolutely. Very good score still. So. And well worth your time. Yeah, definitely want to highlight that for sure. Pacino alone is a well deserved Oscar win. <laughs> Gonna get enough of this guy. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, all right. So we're gonna move on here, and this is our next Paul Verhoeven movie. This is 1995, and I think it's our first NC-17 film that we ever did for sure on the ratings. Um, I think uh, the first Evil Dead was NC-17. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, there's nothing new here then. <laughs> uh, but no, obviously. So we're d- been doing this Paul Verhoeven kind of study a little bit. This mm-hmm. is the second to last one. Second now. to last one, winding down. Uh, and like I said, 1995. This is Showgirls, Finn. And and what do we get with with Showgirls? Uh, an oddball. Uh, I mean, this is. Uh, I mean, this is going to push my <laughs> push me off the rails as far as what I thought uh, this film study would be about, which would be world building and 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 what Verhoeven yeah, does. Yeah, you love that. It all that's what it started with. Yeah, uh, where and then it's it's now evolved into he just likes making very adult films, you know, right? <laughs> and, uh, about adult subject matter. I think uh, it's 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 an oddball. I I didn't know a lot going into this movie, but what I found out. After after watching it and in kind of my post research that I do once I kind of take my notes and my initial my initial uh, feelings on it uh, that this film is is almost catastrophically bad and 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 reviewed as is probably mm. one of the worst films of the decade if not you know uh, you know in kind of an all-time list wow. so yeah yeah I didn't let that affect my ratings too much luckily I was of the uh, on the same page, so I didn't have to. <laughs> I didn't have to play the contrarian this time on, on something that is just outwardly bad. And it's such a weird step for for Verhoeven too, mm. correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you, and we just what was the last one that we did? with Basic him? Instinct, which you quite liked. Oh mm. uh, wait, I thought it was solid. That's right. Yeah. Okay, that's right. I forgot about Basic Instinct because yeah. you really liked the um, uh, Total Recall. Yes, that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as what we have with Showgirls, I mean, this is a serious serious nc-17 film once again this is a not a family watch much like basic instinct yeah. is keep this just like pornography it, at some point like, I, I mean uh, we have full-on sex scenes uh right. i mean you see you see it all which is you know i i'll, I'll get into uh, elizabeth berkeley in a second right, uh, right. so <laughs> uh you know it's not bad but uh at the same time <laughs> keep your grandparents out of the room you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah this movie is oddly upbeat uh our main character kind of takes everything in stride and and really, this is despite a, a very disgusting industry uh, around her. Um, this is, however, not like the execution we would see in something like Boogie Nights, though. It is missing a tragic spin to the characters. Uh, it rides the line that Boogie Nights does in hmm. that we have a messy subject matter, but it's kind of taken on the chin. It's taken upbeat. The, I think what Showgirls lacks is a little bit of a twist of the knife, the, the tragic spin towards the end to bring it all home and say, yeah, this is actually, you know, this is a, uh, a a horrible industry to to be a part of and whatnot. And uh, yeah, uh, it, it's... Uh, yeah, because you think it would be naturally a very, very tones of extreme sadness throughout this movie. Sure, sure. Just because of dealing with the content and mm-hmm. the people that you're dealing with and the sadness that usually comes with mm-hmm. them. But it's not really highlighting that. No, and, if anything, it's like a feel-good like, stripper film. And, is it glorifying it? Is that the point? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not saying that's a problem. I mean, you know, no, I'd say to is. anyone, just... get your bag however you get in your bag. But, you know, it's... Uh, 
Uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 missing that that, it's, that artistry that we saw in Boogie Nights. That you should know? just naturally be there, given the story as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even notes of uh, speaking. Oh my gosh, speaking of again with the Paul Thomas Anderson film, mm-hmm. the one with the early one with John uh, John C. Riley. Oh uh, yes, uh, Heart Eight. Yeah, definitely thinks of sadness with there. Mm-hmm. It, just mm-hmm. dealing with that whole Vegas vibe and everything like absolutely. that. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Uh, even even if it maybe doesn't, you know, you don't want it to touch our main character. Uh, it can still touch on people around it, but everyone's just like super upbeat, and it's really never really challenged in a in a serious way. Yeah. So, uh, a little bit of a summary here. Uh, Numi is, is our is our main character. She is a girl looking to climb the ranks in the Vegas strip club scene. Uh, but the problem is, she's really dumb as a sack of bricks. Uh, <laughs> it's it's real bad. Uh, she is uh, street smart in ways. There's there's sprinkling of street smart there, but it's really almost shocking. Uh, how stupid the character is written in any dramatic sense. I mean, mm, this is really, kind of annoying, really. Uh, really bad, yeah, like yeah. outwardly bad. Elizabeth Berkeley is the actress playing Numi, uh, and it's a real toy, uh, coin toss here. Fifty percent is this horrific acting. Uh, oh yeah, and it's. It, I mean, it really is horrific, just like how bad dramatic scenes are. And Elizabeth Berkeley, she's also known for for Saved by the Bell. Which I, I never watched Saved by the Bell. Uh, it's just, I'm trying to figure out, because if, if people saw her, they would know where she, who she is. I think but so. But she's not yeah. that big of an actress and no, has been for no. quite some time. And, and, and if anything, Showgirls is the because of, more notable things that she's done. Yes. You know. And could potentially also be the catalyst of her <laughs> career that started to shrink and shrink. <laughs> yeah, that, that's... But regardless, she's fresh off of Saved by the Bell, essentially. So back yeah. then, she's kind of a hot, well, she's a hot actress. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and like I said, I mean, this, this, this coin toss, I mean, it's 50% this, like, God awful acting, but to some praise, and this is where I, I I I'm so thankful I did not taint myself with understanding that people call this like the worst movie of the '90s or anything like that. I think Fifty Percent is a positive physical performance of the actual stripping. Oh, happy to be a stripper, uh, yeah. yeah, folks at home. I mean, however you take your coffee, uh, Elizabeth is not only stunning but delivers a demanding role. If anything, because it's NC-17, we really see it all, mm-hmm. and that means a lot of screen time where she is just straight up breaking a sweat from dancing and stripping. Right, right. You know what I mean? It is a physical <laughs> right. performance. She came so. to work, too, just like Al Pacino. <laughs> came to work just like Al Pacino. No Oscar here for, for Elizabeth, though. <laughs> and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't see it. I, I mean, really, there's there's... You know, again, uh, it, it really is. It, however you, you, your preference is, folks at home, you have to look at this and say, I mean, there, there's there's a, a laughable quality to the dramatic elements, but because this film is NC-17, there is so much time put into just dancing sequences. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I can't say that it was, I mean, it was maybe a little silly, it was maybe a little dated, but it is not a easy role, and the physical demand uh, that Elizabeth Berkeley is putting in there is, is something of note. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> with much disappointment that I call her acting, her actual dramatic acting, catastrophically bad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a, like I said, it is a real coin toss uh, that, that you can look at it and say, well, there is merit here, but... 
man, it's just like real, you know. There's there's no follow so, Yeah, it's just it. like she makes a better stripper than an actor in this. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Sometimes she appears to be playing the character. Other times, I don't know quite what she's doing. Uh, it's that all over the place, it, huh? It's, it's like, what? <laughs> you know? Well, we'll talk about satire and camp uh, and intentionally bad acting a lot with our final entry in Starship Troopers. And even mm. if I want to be super generous and say... Elizabeth is playing some layered idiot method acting uh, and it's intentionally blown up uh, to to play a, a very naive girl uh, trying to break into a stripper scene. Uh, I mean, even still, there is nothing there to support it uh, and there's nothing else in the you know, the very poorly acted supporting roles to follow through on that idea uh, where we will see, and, and I hope to say, with Starship Troopers, there's intentionally bad acting, but it's all in service of a satire to okay, it, gotcha. if that makes sense. No, for sure. And yeah. you, did, you made a comment there about other actors as well in this film. Mm. Is just everyone bad? Ky- uh, what, Kyle MacLachlan? Yeah, uh, that that's, of course, a Twin Peak guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, he is, I mean... It's again. It's more so the 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 dramatic elements are just so cartoonish in this. Uh, they're they're really like he plays this like Ferrari, you know, pimp almost, you know, producer, MBA, okay. Okay. you know, corporate <laughs> douchebag type of character. Yeah, sure. Uh, and when it comes to his portrayal of that, I mean, I even like him as an actor just because of you know, like Twin Peaks and whatnot. But it's it's it just comes off terrible. It's just really all. It all doesn't sound like they're just... given very much. I mean, this if, if it's this movie is that bad, which is what you're leading to. Mm. Mm. You know, it's failing on uh, on a decent amount of levels then mm-hmm. it has to be mm-hmm. from writing and directing honestly yeah yeah it's it's a shame i maybe the the shoulder or, or who's to shoulder the blame is writing a little bit more but man I, yeah it's just it's it's just not good in execution mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. maybe it is on verhoven's Verhoeven shoulders as a director you know in in the final on uh, the final thing <laughs> Man, uh, just just very conflicted on this one though. Uh, there are sprinklings of good all throughout it. Um, I think it's a fairly well shot film. There is a mm. Ferrari scene that is uh, pretty awesome. Just how it's shot on the Vegas Strip. Uh, it's also chock full of choreography as well as our characters climb out of CD strip clubs into full on Vegas shows. Uh, you can maybe look at this choreography and say, yeah, it's a little bit uh, weird. Uh, it's a little bit of a joke on how. How, how showmanship or how showy it is, but again, you know, there, there, the the thought behind the choreography, and then also the execution of the dancers and the actors and the actresses in these shows, uh, there, there's there's merit there. I mean, these are long takes that there are no cuts, and they are working their butts off, you know. So uh, there's the physical performance aspect is something of note. Um, That's good. I mean, that, those are good that there's little silver linings in there. Yeah, yeah. The, the cinematographer, same uh, same guy that did Total Recall and yeah. RoboCop and uh, and Star Trip Trooper as well. So yeah, he must be you know tied so at the hopefully, hip. Oh, for sure. You know, uh, with Verhoeven. Which hopefully that's a good sign for the film to come. Absolutely. But I, I would say, unfortunately, the acting and the story is just real, real bad. Misunderstands the critique that something like this could go for and just kind of becomes more of a a kind of a stripper empowerment story, but with none of the 
none of the uh, perspective needed to kind of tell the dangers of that or anything like that. And you, sadly, I, mean, I think really it sinks sh- the whole ship. Yeah, and why would you, it just, again, it just kind of seems like it's an obvious thing to touch on in the film. Yeah, exactly. Or even just how that's how you would build drama in it instead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, instead drama is built in other ways uh, through catty relationships between uh, strippers and whatnot. It just it just feels very basic. So how was it reason. with the fact that it's over, it's two hours and eight minutes? So you get like no <laughs> drama, you get no like dark areas. I mean, did it, was it dragging uh, on? And... Really, the drama is more so around the troubles and tribulations she has in trying to climb the ranks of being g- from a, a very seedy, you know, off the strips, uh, off the Vegas strip stripper mm-hmm. to a full on Vegas show. You know, right. how do you climb to that? How do you get over the the stereotypes of just like, oh yeah, you're just kind of a you know a backroom girl or something like that. There is drama there, but again, it's, it's just it's, it's it's just it's, it's meant deep. to over. It's right. Yeah. It's nothing about the industry that could be so wearing on mm-hmm. girls and everything. There's no and, emotional depth, uh, well, and that's to, what I'm saying. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. We're at two hours and eight minutes. Did you find yourself being like, I mean, there's not else much there. Yeah. Was you just were you checking your watch? Uh no, because I mean, you know, it's, just, it is it's a nudie film. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I mean, I, I think there, you know, this is definitely full on NC-17 for a reason. I think there is um, a slight credit I can give to, again, physical performance and and that it shows it all, you <laughs> okay. know. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 not any kind of emotional depth. depth. Um when we we started this with the whole Verhoeven kick, uh, this movie was obviously the outlier uh, in the stretch of movies sure. that I outlined. For sure, I, I didn't really do much too much research into it, and like I said in the beginning, I did not expect this to be uh, reviewed as like a you know as bad as reviews as this is uh i don't really follow like the razzies or anything like that uh if folks at home if you're not familiar the razzies are a i i don't know if you could even call them fake awards but they're awards they're the anti they're the anti-oscars exactly they're the worst worst. of the worst yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. uh and this this film has really gotten you know the kind of the the nod of if you will uh worst of the decade Uh, i think there are a lot of things intentional in this film and I think maybe this could have been Verhoeven's first crack at trying to build in satire and intentional camp to mm, it. Mm. Uh, but very simply, it does not clear the jump and the execution is not there. We are going to go ahead and give Showgirls a 26. Ooh, 26%. Yeah. Bad movie. A bad movie. Just a bad, bad movie. Bad movie. Paul Verhoeven isn't doing the best job so He's not. Is it surprising to you? Not that, look, I'm not surprised that this was a bad movie, but... It is surprising because I'm already going to have to argue for the positive reception of Starship Troopers because it's a satire. You know what I mean? On the surface, it could look like very much a bad right. movie. No, no, yeah. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I think it's... I'm you still were not int- hyped on RoboCop. No, no. And for such I, I a classic and for such that. a kind of... Oh, okay. It's yeah, such a yeah. sci-fi type thing. I don't know. It's just... yeah. I think I, I it, if anything I'm I'm happy to explore things like that because yeah I can know what directors look electric from their work and I can right. I can be excited about diving into that and that's really what this five movie stretch was at the same time though I'm not trying to expect only good 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 you know if anything yeah. I like that I'm mm-hmm. I'm discovering that you know people can have stumbles and still be pretty prolific as far as what they produce oh yeah 100% 100% mm-hmm. but okay but well as far as showgirls is that is a 26% <laughs> so not not much worth it for y'all out there no no um but hey that's okay 
Okay, so like we said, we have one more on the Verhoeven list. That'll be probably next week. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which will be Starship Troopers. Okay. All right, so we're going to move on. Like we said, we have three new movies here today. But first, we just want to go ahead into our producer segment, and we want to thank those of you who helped produce this podcast. Now, this week, Vin, we have uh, two producers. Oh, wow. And uh, both coming in with the Godfather donations. Well, look at that. Uh, look $95. At that. We have a couple Godfathers now. We've covered Pacino. I didn't even know. Oh, that's perfect, actually. <laughs> that actually turned out that's wonderfully. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, so our first donation comes from Anonymous, actually. And the note that they wrote in was very enjoyable and entertaining listening. Okay. Re- reviews are smart and witty with interesting movie facts. Vincent and Tom have a great chemistry. Keep up the great work. Uh, love it. Well, thank you, Anonymous. Is, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, absolutely. Anonymous. Absolutely. We appreciate that. We appreciate, uh, you know, we do work well together, Vin. <laughs> we do have great chemistry. She's right. Or he's right. Who knows? Oh, sure, sure. But uh, no, so Anonymous, thank you very much. You are an executive producer of the Daily Ratings Podcast. And also, which I can't even bring it up fast enough here. So like I said, we have a second donation of A Godfather, which is $95. And the reason why is it's our highest rated film Mm. at 95% on the Daily Ratings. And uh, this is from Anne Agnant. Again, Godfather, $95. And... My computer's frozen, which is fun. <laughs> which is which is a, a fun upside. <laughs> but no, Anne says entertaining, in-depth, and enlightening reviews of an electric array of an eclectic array of movies, uh, encompassing all genres. Nice job opening my mind to uh, <laughs> to venture to see. Um, okay, let me start this over. Nice job opening my mind to venture to see a movie that would not usually be on my radar watch list. Very good. Vincent and Tom have dynamic and fun personalities and are enjoyable to listen to. Tune in uh, soon. It won't be your last time. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Look at that. And definitely the whole point. I mean, if this is opening your... Uh, you're, uh, you know, it, it's popping a new movie on your radar, opening your mind a little bit. Uh, absolutely. That's cool. And that's, yeah. and that's what we love when people, hey, if you want to just stop by and listen to the movies you care about and mm-hmm. use the time codes and everything that we have set up, that's great. But also, if you listen a little bit longer and listen to these episodes through, I think that's exactly you're going to experience what Anne has experienced. Absolutely, because that's what this whole uh, this whole thing is about. It's about saving you some time. Yeah. And may, if there's something that's maybe not on your radar, but it's, I'm saying it's worth your time, guess what? Give it a watch. Yeah, especially just hearing, hearing 10 minutes on it. Mm-hmm. It just spikes your interest a little bit, and, you know, it's good. And I think a lot of people who maybe don't even care that much about movies are also getting something out of this where... It's kind of fun, and you're getting into it a little yeah. bit. And when you watch now, and I think there's some people at home that when they watch, they're looking for, they're like, oh, wow, the soundtrack does suck. Or <laughs> starting to kind of review <laughs> right, critically right. themselves, which is great. You know, it's getting into film and, and kind of diving in a little bit deeper. Yeah, absolutely. So, Anne, thank you so much for your for your Godfather donation. You were a Godfather yourself. And uh, it's so nice to have two producers this week, uh, both at $95. We can't thank you enough. It's, it's That's a huge amount. And if everyone just gave a little bit, that would be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. If you're wondering what the hell this is or what's going on, this is the producer segment, obviously. This is where we thank the producers, but it's to remind all you that uh, we go off the value-for-value value model here. And basically what that is, you can go to the dailyratings.com. You go to the top right to the donation tab, and using any amount of value that you think you're getting from us, from the podcast, from the website, uh, put a dollar sign amount to it. And what you know, what are you getting from this? We want to stay away from corporate advertisers, so we're not going to throw ads in your face on the podcast multiple times. Mm-hmm. We're not going to break for that. We're not going to. Th- we really want to stay away from ads on the website. It's going to bog it down. It's a worse experience for you all, and it, it, it's just not really worth it in the end. We think podcast advertising. This is kind of. 
it, it's kind of going in the tubes a little bit, and you can actually see it happening a little bit with some major players in the game. But for this, this is kind of our own family. It's our Daily Ratings family. We want to stay away from Patreon, where if you give this much, we give you a little bit extra. If you give this much, then we really give you a little bit even mm-hmm, more extra. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, this content is free. We're putting it out there. But the fact is, is we can't do this forever because it takes a while. But we think it's getting better. We have fun things on the horizon. All of you producers who helped to make this happen, being a producer is real. You're a legitimate producer. And and to Anonymous today, to Anne today, they are executive producers of the daily ratings. Mm. It's important. It means something. And with that, you know, you can write it in note, and we're going to read it here on air, whatever you write, or ask questions to us. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this segment is about. So thank you, producers. And to remind everybody, we are going solely off the value-for-value value model. And whatever value you can give to us is huge, and we thank you so much. Now, with that, uh, we're going to continue on here. We have three new release new releases maybe and we're gonna start with uh, yeah it is so we're gonna start with the animation that came out a couple weeks ago yeah uh, earlier in the month i would say this is the bad guys directed by pierre parafel which i haven't i'm not aware of him uh, no yeah i think he's pretty new and, and and you'll see that more commonly in the animation space as well uh so it's true yeah uh it, a bit a minute though since i've watched anything dreamworks we've we've covered a, a lot of different animation studios recently on the podcast uh uh, but probably the last thing I watched from DreamWorks was probably the first Boss Baby, which uh, I thought it was a good uh, movie. Uh, and I will you're probably a big fan of Boss Baby. I will probably die on that hill alone. Because <laughs> no, uh, I don't think so. I I think I don't know. I think there's some critical reception out there that that really hates on Boss Baby. But I I mean I thought a lot of people liked it. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was a great movie about you know imagination and whatnot. But we'll we'll leave that if we ever <laughs> if we you know Boss hmm. Baby three you know we'll yeah, do yeah. the deep dive on the series. Uh, <laughs> uh, the bad guys uh, are a crew of legendary evil creatures in a world of humans who are scared of uh, scared to death of them. Uh, this includes, of course, uh, characters like the big bad wolf, played by Sam Rockwell. Uh, we have a tarantula, a anaconda, a shark. You know, so they're more so they are the creatures that humans are scared of, and they are the bad guys <laughs> uh, all in a all in a crew. Uh, in addition to a lot of great voice acting talent for the other creatures in the crew. Uh, Sam Rockwell is our lead uh, as the, the head honcho of, uh, of this crew. I would say, you know, as far as this being a heist movie, uh, it's cool because we're seeing the bad guys be portrayed as the best heist crew around. And when some unexpected kindness hits the crew, it kind of gives them something that they could never steal. And that's really a second chance, uh, oh, okay. which I think is the, the heart of the movie. Uh, second chances for it for everyone, which uh, you know, for a kids movie, I think that's that's a perfectly fine, you know, nugget on the inside. So. Yeah, I think I think that's a good one because you know all these kids movies have an overarching theme, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. even smaller ones attached to that. But I think that's a fair one. I think that's yeah, a good one to make a film out of. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and a lot more overarching. We touched on Turning Red not too long ago on the podcast, and. I, I think the critique on both of our sides, Tom, was that uh, it was it was such a, a hyper specific type of movie uh, around a uh, a mother's relationship with a with a prepubescent daughter. Uh, this is just so yes. much more of an open thing, yeah, it, an open it, palette for many children audiences. Yeah, it. It, it, it's speaking to a broader audience, which is I think so important for these animation films because mm-hmm, exactly. you also want to be good for on the adult side as well. And yeah. you're right, turn, Turning Red was just was such was narrow was just narrow. 
Yeah, it good in what story. it went for, but narrow, absolutely. And I think uh, children's films have to, you know, have to be a little bit more broad for what they cover and whatnot yeah. uh, for or the, the many different type of audiences. And maybe they, they don't have to, but it always tends to be the best animation films out there mm. are those. Uh, that balance it, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The ones that are success- the most successful demonstrate that as a quality. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, uh, animation-wise, you know I am a huge geek for this stuff. Uh, I really like uh, the mix of 2D and 3D animation in this. Uh, 3D is the base of the characters, and then 2D effects are layered over this. Uh, a, divining, a defining quality of this is that the 2D animation uh, has drawn on eyes on our CGI character bodies. Drawn on eyes, sometimes drawn on mm. uh, mouths, and then very dark outlines in kind of a fake pencil, if you will, to the character's models. It's so just, and I haven't seen it but looking mm-hmm. at the stills and everything like that did it come off as like cheap like like tv oh, no. quality oh no, it was good. very it was good. good yeah oh, okay, okay if anything i think it's a cheap animation trick and maybe that gives you some of that that feeling tom you know yeah. that it's like it, it could be seen as maybe cutting corners but stylistically i think it is it a works. very good match oh yeah. cool okay yeah. that's nice uh, I, I i didn't put this as a note but you kind of bring it up uh i, I think we're really in a I mean, I don't want to be bombastic, but a kind of a golden age of, you know, we Different. could have so many CGI movies all look all the same, you yes. know, carbon copy. But the fact that we're getting all these CGI movies and 2D animation, the the tools of the past are being used to create unique looks across many different films. I think that's awesome. I think it's extremely important. And it seems like every single Pixar kind of has their style. Mm-hmm. Not that they don't change it up. They right, definitely right. change it up and everything. But you mm-hmm. do have DreamWorks. Sony is getting into the Absolutely. game now. Which one did you, uh, gosh, what was the last? Uh, and- Mitchell's versus the Machine. Yes, you yep. love that one. Mm-hmm. Klaus that we did. You yep. love Klaus. Absolutely. And it is nice to see all these different forms of animation because it keeps it fresh. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they take on the the feeling of the mo- what the film is about mm-hmm. as well. You know, you, a specific animation for the specific type of film is very cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Absolutely, and and maybe a golden age is is a little bit you know no, I don't think too so. much high praise. But think about uh, it: how many movies that could be coming out and they could all look the same? Yeah. You know, carbon I, I, copy. Golden you know? age is exactly right because the animation films that are coming out are largely very very good, yeah. and we finally have a lot of studios in the mixes now. Yeah, a lot of studios, a lot of unique looks to films. You know, yeah. I think that's important. Exactly right. Uh, and, and for something that you know is always uh, forgotten uh, that the the you know army of artists behind this and uh, you know how many artists have their own preferences and want to bring their own style to it the fact that we're getting that style on display in many different qualities across many different studios i think that's a really yeah. good mark and and this film is absolutely in that mark you know this 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 2d effects that are given to it it gives a sharp look to it it gives it almost a an anime quality once again to it so uh this movie uh also got some real laughs out of me which uh i i you know, I oh, mean, good, I, I good. walk into these things, I don't really expect that, you know, that that's fine. Uh, but uh, there's almost a, a never ending joke of them all being animals in the crew in a real world. Uh, the Mr. Shark, uh, the character played by Craig Robinson, is supposed mm-hmm. to be the master of disguise as well. So uh, the, the fact that he's able to just like dress up and infiltrate something, but he's like clearly an animal among humans, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really is. It's a never ending 
never-ending joke. It is a, a bottomless pit of uh, of of laughs. Uh, it is really good. That's uh, cool. That's yeah. nice when you, as an adult, can sit there and laugh. Absolutely, and enjoy it. I the, love the, that. the absurd of, uh, absurdism. Absolutely of it. love that. Yeah. So, uh, and, and Craig Robinson also uh, another highlight. Uh, you know, while talking about some voice acting talent, uh, really good. I would say obviously, uh, well, not obviously, I would say surprisingly, uh, Rockwell actually a little bit, a little bit on the meh side. You know, was he just? Uh, and I'm assuming he plays the. Was he play the wolf? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it kind of sounded. I mean, Blank? if I didn't know it was Rockwell. Kind of sounded like a discount. Um, wow, why can't I think of it? Wedding Crashers, not Vince Vaughn. Owen Wilson. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Owen Wilson. <laughs> sounded like really. A, yeah, it was. Uh, maybe it was the character that he was. You know, he's I mean, maybe being he was challenged to, to be good, and you know, I don't know. But uh, it wasn't really hitting with you, though. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't as cool as Rockwell could be. And and if anything, this was the moment. Yeah, he's he's playing the. You know, that's funny. We were just talking the, him up so much last week. Yeah, for real. Yeah. <laughs> for the green. Uh, <laughs> Mile. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of good voice acting talent. Uh, Aquafina as well. Uh, she plays the translator. Usually not a huge fan of her, but she was really good in this as well. What else so. is she in? I just forgot her name was Aquafina. Yeah. I thought that was freaking hilarious. <laughs> yeah, uh, Aquafina is in. Well, she's in a, a few comedy series. She was in Shang Chi, uh, the new Marvel film. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> you're not digging it. Well, well I'm just. <laughs> I'm sure she did a good job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then, listen, I'm sure we're probably going to get plenty of new actors and actresses with one name and whatnot. I mean, it's no, what, it's what marketing is going to have to oh, do. No, it's fine. Know? Yeah, I just it's funny name. That's why <laughs> I was looking. You know, putting putting some uh, movies on the on the site. Uh-huh. Some of the older ones. Mm-hmm. There was a guy in a in westerns. He was in that westerns or uh-huh. anything like that. His his name was Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens. <laughs> Whoa, that's amazing. Um, but anyway, so, all right. So back to the bad guys here. Yeah. And Mark Maron was really second in was with with Sam Rockwell's for the top two. That- uh, yeah, as as are you know he he is key to he plays like a hamster that is like perfectly good. Mark uh, Maron, the snake. Oh, the snake. Yes, oh, yes. yes, yes. I'm sorry. I, I mixed that up. Uh, yes, he plays our anaconda. Okay. Uh, I thought it was good. Definitely not the highlight of the of the the initial crew. Okay. I think a downside in this is we don't get to see enough heist action. Luckily, even during the redemption plot, the crew skills are reworked into similar type of scenarios, but it never quite reaches the heights of when we just get the simple premise of cops versus robbers. Uh, the cops are great. Too. Too. Uh, they are always animated as kind of just a a single blob of cops that kind of appear <laughs> on the screen. It, it was it, it's it's very good. Just just some awesome awesome work on on the concept of that and, and the feel of cops and robbers, uh, the electric energy of that. Like I said, it's it's creative how it's reworked in the plot to fit into this redemption story. They still u- utilize their skill set in in ways, but that initial sequence is is nice. Dynamite. Okay, uh, cool. Really comes out hot out of the gate. So, by the way, does it does it take place in a fictional city, or does uh, it? I don't know. It has to be a fictional city. Okay, so it wasn't. Uh, like, I don't know. I don't. Well, not like in Atlanta that. or anything. No, okay, no, right. no. <laughs> but again, there's just like this, you know, this uh, evergreen joke of uh, <laughs> of just like they are animals in this human world. Like, how is this acceptable? Right, these right. sentient animals. <laughs> An awesome score. Uh, really can hang with the best of high paced jazz soundtracks. Very much reminded me of Cowboy Bebop. Very much reminded me of Lupin the Third uh, from from anime size. Mm. Uh, we got sharp horns. Uh, 
Uh, it is timed with sharp cuts in the edits. Just really good stuff. Definitely a high mark from me. Those sharp edits definitely are playing into the awesome action sequences. Driving is a huge focus in this film and a very good looking quality. Oh, they do it cool, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 car that the crew has, I believe, is. I, I don't know if it's like rendered at a higher quality or they put like a once again more 2D effects over it and it kind of stands out in a unique way but cool looking uh, cool looking speed on screen and, and that's uh, that's that's almost always the case if if you have a really good animation team behind it but uh really good stuff fight scenes as well has some really jaw-dropping visuals actually one fight scene in particular i would say has a jaw-dropping visuals uh, and okay. reminded me of the highlight in boss baby which was hyper stylized imagination sequences you know that we are just in a moment kind of dip our toe into the very very you know far reaches of what anime uh, animation can be pushed into for this then so oh, that was, that's interesting yeah is yeah. it like trippy uh, or- not trippy but I mean, but animation it can't be constrained by camera angles. I mean, it can literally do anything you want. Right, so right. Uh, this this one action sequence about halfway through in the film uh, just really captures that. We get just so such unconventional ways that the the camera, the, you know, the simulated camera, yeah, if yeah. you will, is moving around and the frame is moving around. So uh, just just good stuff that I like to see. Okay. You know what I mean, if we're watching a movie that's animated and it's just doing kind of shot shot reverse shot that a normal film would do i don't find that to be a good quality yeah. uh, or something worth a praise i so, think for sure yeah yeah once again that plays into the fact that this film has a unique identity in a landscape of almost or an endless sea of of, of animated children's films and is crafting its own identity you know and okay that's a big I love mark it. for me so I don't have too much to say uh, and too much more to criticize. Uh, I thought this was a very cute movie uh, with a cool factor for kind of older audiences to enjoy it. For my animation geeks out there, I would say this is a great watch uh, and uh, something that we see another animated fisher, uh, feature with enough style of its own to craft this unique identity uh, and definitely worth carving out a spot among the many children's films you could probably watch. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give the back guys a 75 75 a great score absolutely could have used more pacino (laughs) (laughs) no but 75 that's the criticism for everyone every movie could have used a dash more pacino no but that's a very good score especially for a kid's film and definitely one i'm I'm assuming you just go and have a good time with your kids and Mm -hmm. you're really going to quite enjoy yourself absolutely yourself very cool. All right, then we're going to keep it going here with the 2022s. So next on the list is Operation Mincemeat. This was the Netflix film. Bingo. bingo. Okay, so Operation Mincemeat, directed by John Madden. Uh, what, what do we get with here? I was kind of unfamiliar with this. Uh, yeah, and and, and we'll, we'll definitely take a slow down now because <laughs> we go from, you know, talking about Pacino uh, and then talking about a very bad movie, then talking about a children's movie. Now we're talking about a nonfiction war movie. Okay. So <laughs> we're really, we're really at some different pacing. So I'll, I'll kind of slow down for a moment. This movie primarily tells the nonfiction story of the British subterfuge uh, uh, to trick Nazi Germany into believing uh, in a fake Mediterranean invasion, specifically the invasion of Sicily. Mm. Uh, That is Operation Mincemeat. I think it was called something different on the American side, because that was all airborne stuff, but I, I won't get into history <laughs> with that. That's, 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 that's way too much. <laughs> but it is also based on the book of the same name by uh, Ben McClintyre, 
I think it's uh, his his name is pronounced. Okay, um, all right. But a, a nonfiction story, and I say primarily nonfiction because it is obviously dealing with the very real spy or or rather early espionage operations of Britain. We have very much uh, chock full of historical figures and. Really, the only thing that kind of drifts apart is more so kind of a romance drama that I would argue as well uh, drags the movie down quite I was a bit. Gonna, I, that's what, I just rolled my eyes. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's just you like, did. It just doesn't seem necessary. A hearty roll. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem necessary. Yeah, um, I mean, when you're talking about war, it's dramatic enough. You don't need mm-hmm. a romance drama yeah. taking away from the main story. Yeah, I know. And in ways, maybe this is, you know, this kind of hits on a Casablanca, you know, or at least it wants to be kind of a Casablanca that we have the the romance is in the foreground, the war is in the background, but I, I don't know. It's it's not not the best. Right, uh, we, right. we follow uh, Ewan, played by uh, Colin Firth, and then Charles, uh, played by Matthew McFadden, mm-hmm. two British intelligence operatives that are tossed aside to craft a plan to secure the safety of the invasion of Sicily. Uh, this has the two of them creating what will be the bedrock of espionage, uh, believability of the room and how to trick your enemy with the obvious. And this is where the movie is really at its best. It feels a lot like Darkest Hour, where exposition and action are told on the home front uh, of Britain, behind bunker doors uh, and behind bunker walls. This has a much faster-paced feel to it, though, almost is a heist movie in itself. It has some very snappy editing to it. Okay. Music put over it that it's time appropriate, but almost kind of feels like an Oceans movie, if you will, uh, of how the music is overlaid into quick cuts of what we're doing here, what we're doing there, and how this moves you know, the plot along. I could like that, especially with dealing, because it's not just a straight up World War II movie. It's mm-hmm. some, something very specific. Absolutely, Like yeah. you said, I could see how that actually would be good. Yeah, but in yeah. most war films, I don't think I would like that actually. Yeah, yeah, I, because I think I think this movie gets away with it because we're not seeing real casualties of war and the well, uglier signs. Yeah, of the there's invasion. something about doing those quick cuts with me and like throwing the music and everything mm-hmm. like that where it it just drops down in seriousness. Mm, yep. And was that the same thing? But it could get away with that because, like you said. We're not directly in conflict in yeah, war. Yeah, I, I think it was it was enjoyable because there was it, it, I I, I appreciate the snappiness of us okay. just getting to what this was actually about. But it's not like it made it fun. No. Okay. No. All right. Yeah, it didn't make Good. it fun, and and more importantly, I think um, I think your criticism is valid though, because I mean, what we're talking about is very serious, you know, uh, or can be very serious. Yeah, um, I like films typically that are snappy or quick, and like mm-hmm. you get cool camera sequences often if things are moving quick or with the music in there it is it can be good almost like an oceans like you said yeah but just i'm thinking about it in a war setting and i just think it's going to be it's a tricky thing to balance yeah but i think maybe can get away with it just because it's not because we're dealing with something specific about a war yeah yeah and i think maybe the film feels it has to do that much like the romance uh triangle drama type of thing okay it kind of maybe feels it needs to do that because obviously this is just one piece in a successful historical invasion, you know what I mean? So we already know, well, maybe you don't already know, but we already know in in, in a grandiose way that the Nazis lost. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, So maybe it feels it needs to kind of create small beats of that and um, in the writing. But um, the early spy work is a big focus here uh, on the operation. I think it's absolutely the best part about this. We also get a minor character role from Ian Fleming. 
the writer of the James Bond books. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. T- well, we like we see his character we a little see bit. His yeah, his uh, his character uh, kind of in and out of oh, that's uh, cool. spy operation meetings, and we always see him writing on typewriters and whatnot. And again, you know, I I can't fact check too much of just you know which meetings he was actually in or what he was privy to. Right. But, of course. But yeah. It, oh, that's it, cool. It, there's there's really cool nods uh, to you know in this maybe more minor type of operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, of of trying to you know, trick and and create this 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 espionage, uh, I think uh, it, it's cool that they put that in there. And again, those are the the more enjoyable historical beats to this. Uh, I think this movie does kind of check a box for history buffs in that type of way. Yeah, you know, I mean, Fleming's I kinda, inclusion like is, a, is a good piece. That's a nice little nugget for yeah, sure. Exactly. The real shame, though, is that a good half of the plot, uh, if not more, uh, is focused around this love triangle drama that is far less interesting than the World War II spy work. Kelly McDonald uh, plays a secretary that gets wrapped up in the spy plot, but really only serves to be romantic tension when the film gets boring. Uh, And I've got to tell you, this really dragged it down for me. I even enjoy Kelly. I I love her in uh, No Country for Old Men. She she, she plays um, uh, Josh Brolin's wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our our only sane character in in that movie. You know, kind of dealing with horrific things. So uh, when when it when it comes to that, I mean, I, I was really kind of rooting for her performance as well because I really wasn't a fan of Colin Firth, and, um, and I didn't really even know walking into this Matthew McFadden. So it's unfortunate so, that it really detracts what is easily the movie's strength, and it just feels like fluff. It feels like they're prying it open. Well, to hear that it's half it. the film sucks, yeah. even if it's an hour, it's way too much, yeah, way yeah. way too much. And then I do like. I, I like the cast in this. Like, Colin yeah. Firth looks good. Like, it sure. looks apart. Absolutely. Uh, Matthew McFadden, I just know him from Succession. I think oh, that's where a lot of people are going to know him from. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. But um, were they good? And just the story that, that they had uh, to be involved in were not the, you know, the McFadden best? McFadden was enjoyable as a character, but... Colin Firth didn't have... What, I mean. Yeah, w- without going into spoilers, what I would say is that what this love triangle does is it takes our very competent spy operations okay. and, and wanting to see our two main characters establish these these new spy tactics in war and it makes them incompetent because they're all just they're they're just kind of boyishly fighting over a girl then and they're getting they're getting dragged up in this and i think it does much more than just saying oh i i don't really care for romance right, dramas right. Or, or anything like that or love triangles it does much more uh, to damage their characters and, and their competency and how much i enjoyed them on screen gotcha. if that makes oh, sense oh absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah uh, and if anything especially because it's so enjoyable having them think creatively around okay how do we how do we create a, a believability in this plot uh where the nazis are going to be looking at this with scrutiny i mean uh, you know nazi spy operations between you know the enigma uh, code and whatnot you know all that stuff that is really they are the trendsetters in, in that time right. so they have to get over on them well, guess what? Our characters are fully capable of that, but they're constantly being detracted from that because they're getting involved with this girl. Yeah, so right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not the best. So 
Yeah, uh, it, it really is the only source of direct conflict our characters face for the first half. And and yes, you know, like I said before, this is wartime. This is background pressure of the film is is there, but it is largely about the drama between team members, and it feels manipulative to create this drama that ultimately goes nowhere, only to give us spice before the real stakes of the operation take place when they are green green light and right, it's, right. It's, it's it's a go. Uh, thankfully, I would say as a, a light silver lining kind of bookends on this film, there is a snappy spy intrigue that does come into full swing for the last 40 minutes. It is there, finally. Okay. Uh, we do get there. It is the saving grace of the film, and uh, like I said, almost has a heist-like energy to it. I think it's effective as there's just so much that is unknown, uh, much like a good heist movie or story has to be crafted. You know, there has to be proper communication of the plan to the audience, but then there has to be unknown elements to possibly derail the plan. Mm -hmm. I think it's phenomenal because the Axis is very unknown to the British at the time, their operations, you know, uh, and what they could be seeing this, this spy effort as. So I think as a result, it's good in the beginning, yeah, there's a big meaty <laughs> middle there uh, and, and and good at the end I wasn't too hot on this film but I feel like the, the reason why I'm not too hot is I feel just there's a lot that comes before it uh, oddly we don't have scores for these on the on the side of the master list but I think Darkest Hour Imitation Game mm. they are much better versions of this if you are looking for this kind of British operations and then of course if you want actual boots on the ground Dunkirk, Dunkirk is, yeah, is, is yeah. the one to go okay. so that said a fine movie uh, maybe with a healthy amount of points for World War II history buffs in us all uh, we're gonna go ahead and give Operation Mincemeat a 61 mm, 61 okay mm-hmm. yeah it's still a good movie and definitely and, and kind of on par for like a yeah pretty good Netflix release you know I yeah. feel like Netflix releases like that are always gonna be like alright it was alright you know yes and no it just sucks that drop the uh, again just like the love story they probably put it in there because they felt like they had to everybody thinks that that's what needs to be in a film mm-hmm. when so mm-hmm. many so often it's the thing dragging the film down yeah if yeah. they could have stuck let's say you'd scrap that for the most part mm-hmm. And then stuck with so much more of the espionage in the beginning that you loved. Yeah. And then you have, you know, the great espionage and then an actual great conclusion to the film. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Then you have something good. Yeah. You think back to Netflix, one of their first main releases when they really got into film was... Um, oh, the, uh, the, uh, Beast of No Nations. Beast of No Nations. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was a solid movie. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, that, that film didn't mess mess around. Yeah. And I feel like lately these Netflix movies are just messing around a little bit too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. And trying to stick to a formula instead of trying to be fresh and new and mm-hmm. interesting. And granted, it was a book, so, you know what I mean? There's, yeah, there's, there's always... true. There, very true. Yeah, but it, But it's, when making a film... Exactly. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. You got to pick and choose. Kind of what, understand the strengths. Uh, understand yeah. in, the, in the edit, if you will, you know, what what is actually working about right. this experience. Now, that being said, 61, still a good movie. Absolutely. Like you said, World War II buffs, I mean, they're going to... like. It more and, and you know might definitely be just watch yeah, it even, watch it even in how i described it there was nuggets like the ian fleming bit you know i mean there, sure, there yeah. there's nuggets there that there is enjoyment so very good okay so 61 for operation mince me now we're going to go ahead and continue on this is our last film this week here vin this is men 
directed by Alex Garland, and uh, it is a horror film here. A full-on horror. Yeah. Yeah, coming out in just the summer. It's a summer horror film, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what do we have with this here? So, uh, yeah, interesting. I think I think there's a lot of confusion uh, around what this movie is. Uh, I am a big fan of Alex Garland as a director. Ex Machina was his first work, uh, which I thought was a very solid movie. And Annihilation, uh, his second, which oh. I loved. Annihilation is really a... Uh, no, I wouldn't say a guilty pleasure watch, but if I ever need a sci-fi just to kind of check that box for me, Annihilation lately has it's, been... It's a safe thing to put on? Yeah, yeah. I just I just enjoy the You know, I've been, pull, I've been wanting it, to watch that, and I just haven't been pulling the trigger. Yeah, yeah. And I see, I see your score on it, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, so this is actually a good movie. Because yeah. I don't believe it's going to be a good movie. When I watch the trailer, <laughs> right. I'm, not the biggest fan. I'm not the biggest fan of her sure, and everything, sure. so... Portman, but the, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, continually, it just seems like, oh, I guess I should watch that. Yeah, I, I think it's just both are just very solid sci-fi's, and um, while his his movies have dealt with horrific qualities within that science fiction before, uh, we are now this time around full on horror. Okay, uh, there is not any kind of sci-fi to this, and I think that kind of has added to some of the confusion. I'll even say with myself, I thought this was going to be still sci-fi horror in some ways. Okay, and it is not so. Um, I think that's important for kind of the review and the watching guide of this. Definitely, you know, to to eliminate some of the confusion uh, in walking into a film uh, uh, for recommendations out there. I think even early reviews were calling this uh, somewhat sci-fi as well. It's pegged to sci-fi in most yeah. sites and everything, yeah. which is like not the case. Sorry, you know. I mean, and believe me, I wanted it to be so. right. <laughs> uh, the story is uh, around a girl named Harper, uh, played by Jesse Buckley. I don't have any experience with her, uh, but uh, she was good in this. She is a victim of emotional abuse in a relationship with grim consequences. Uh, The movie flashes in and out of these events and gives us something to puzzle together uh, in the slow burn aspects of this film. This is also a A24 film, I believe. So, Mm. um, you know, kind of viewer beware, you know, I mean, if you don't like the slowness of the films, guess what? You know, I mean, this isn't going to be... Expect that vibe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But I think to that credit, a lot of the downtime time we are spent puzzling together what exactly happened in this relationship which is which is good uh, that that's good layered writing to it so okay the present is played out with harper escaping to a country re- country retreat to kind of decompress from these events and suddenly there is a a face that keeps on reoccurring. This movie is very similar to Split in that we get to see Rory uh, Kinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is how you pronounce it, right? Kinner? I always thought it was Kin- Kinnear. Kinnear? But yeah. I'm not we'll actually really, I don't know if I really heard it pronounced all yeah. that much. Uh, who I have been a... Uh, we love Rory Kinnear. Yeah, yeah. A longtime fan of uh, OG first three episodes of Black Mirror. Yep. Uh, and then, of Plays course... Tanner. In the Bond movies, that's yeah. is that what you're gonna say? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make sure got in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I actually do like him in the in the Bond movies. Like, I he's, think he's, he's a bit more than just a bit role, you know. Yes, he's yeah. a perfect character for what his character is. Absolutely, he's a perfect guy for that. Absolutely. So, in this capacity, we see him get to act and many character roles, and I really mean character roles. These are um, very blown out uh they are he, he kind of he kind of represents every cockney country person that you could find in hot fuzz all in one character oh. <laughs> you know? so it's very country british uh and 
he uh you can see that he's having a ball with just playing different stereotypes if you will of the country okay. uh, side and uh and the different type of um uh different type of personalities you get with that and also i mean much like split uh where you have this single actor balancing multiple character driven roles really enjoyable too i mean i think he was a serious highlight here i wouldn't call him scary per se, but he's definitely menacing. And then there's also just an enjoyment of watching him on screen playing these, these different these characters. Roles. Yeah. It's very enjoyable. It's, uh, it's a cloud Atlas effect. Uh, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we got many syndromes on the yes. podcast, but as long as it's good, as yeah. long as you have that character playing the character, other characters, well, mm-hmm. that's what really makes it enjoyable. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's one thing to slap on different costumes and, it can be done really bad. Yeah. But yeah. given the right talent and given the right act, I mean, that's good. Exactly. And and I honestly, I don't know how much of a role he had in crafting these different personalities, mm-hmm. but uh, it is it is uh, very enjoyable in the execution and uh, definitely key to the mystery. Um, I, I really don't want to talk too much more about the story because I think that in, that in itself... Really uh, is, bleak coy on this one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I will say we'll put a pin in it, but... I don't think that's even maybe something that after you watch the film, let's say if we even were to talk about spoilers, there are clear-cut answers for because this is a very vague, intentionally vague film. Mm, okay. Uh, um, and hey, that that's in my opinion how horror should be, but uh, we'll we'll talk a we'll, a little bit about what's been the audience reception in just a moment. Oh, okay. So there is a cool aspect ratio to the film: uh, medium-sized letterboxing on the side, uh, black bars on ah. the side, left and right only, nothing on the top. Like like old school or was it was it wider than no, the it's, lighthouse? It's, it's, yes, it's it's not, so um, it's not three by four. Or yeah, whatever. it's not lighthouse is um, aspect. There, there's there's litter boxing all around the frame where this was just on the left oh, and was. side. Oh, okay, yes. all right, gotcha. Uh, the left and right, the the sides are just basically pretty medium sized. Okay, bars, gotcha. If you will, <laughs> uh, <laughs> real technical speech. Oh we have yeah, here. medium sized black bars. <laughs> Uh, this is, a, a, but you bring up a good point. This is utilized like the lighthouse. Yeah. Uh, it's and not, a lot of A24. Uh, absolutely. Too, yeah. Absolutely. It is uh, not, uh, Lighthouse still has the crown for the implementation just because it's black and white, but this does absolutely check the box of why I am fascinating with this simple camera trick. Um, it's when we get those shots with pure darkness, mm-hmm. the edges of the frame it's it's just it, the edges of that darkness feel infinite uh and there is one sequence very early on in this film uh that uh she enters a tunnel scene you might have seen it in the trailer that okay. there's there, it's it's kind of a, a voice callback kind of thing uh or an echo in the tunnel and the tunnel is just so pitch black dark that the screen really does transform it just bleeds into, into those black bars yeah it's yeah. just infinite it feels That's so very great. cool yeah i wonder if that was the original intention or if it just works out that well i think there's a lot of copycats honestly of of what uh eggers did with lighthouse uh, and again no mm-hmm. one can do it as good as lighthouse because lighthouse has the fall through of being black and white yeah uh, with that same concept mm-hmm. yeah uh but i definitely like it it's always something enjoyable especially in a horror sense it gives an unease to it so. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Not to be too, you know, uh, 
romantic or flowery in my words of it, but it really does feel like a, kind of an infinite blackness yeah. of the edges of the screen. Cool. So I think with horror, that's the type of, you know, uh, wording or imagery you want to feel with, uh, especially a slow burn horror, mm-hmm. you know. Down to some of the critiques of this film uh, is that there is a, unfo- a really unfortunate amount of FaceTime sequences with her friend on the phone, with Harper's friend on the phone, an actual FaceTime, like, you know, oh. holding up the phone and whatnot to my disappointment uh this is not used creatively uh within the horror uh and it is not implemented in a original way it is just really her staring at the phone shot reverse shot Mm -hmm. into the friend and and i don't know maybe facetime is going to challenge what i always like to see with texting in film yeah um, that it's incorporated into one shot um, yeah, how could we see different iterations of it? Yeah, make it more interesting. Uh, Did you at least get something out of it? No, and that, she's that, like speaking to her friend. Were, yeah. Was there information things coming through? Or no, ugh. no. Uh, that that's really where it's a serious knock for me because it feels. I don't know if this was in the original draft of this or anything like that. I mean, I can't I can't blame right, anything right. like that, but it's it really feels lazy. And it's uh, more than it's, one. It's not just oh, like it was thirty seconds. Um. At least five, at least five oh, sequences really? that she's calling her friend because I mean she's going nuts, you know. It's a horror film, and and you know she 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 has no, for sure her yeah. friend to lean on, but it's you know it's not even used in a way like Get Out where there are heavy sequences where we're checking in with the friend, but right. there is something done with that to that the friend is discovering more about the plot mm-hmm, and we're mm-hmm, keying mm-hmm. in as the audience. There's nothing done there. It's just kind of a little bit of a break time from the horror because we're not really getting scares while she's on the phone. Yeah. So disappointing because uh, lazy is not really what I want to uh, critique a, a director mm-hmm. that I enjoy so, so much. I really love both of his films leading up to this. But uh, I got to say, I mean, this is just a very cliche horror predictable kind of best friend element shoved into the movie again if it was the facetime was implemented in a creative way Mm -hmm. uh if it added to the horror if it added to the suspense you know complete reversal it goes from not liking all the way to oh this is something interesting exactly yeah exactly even if it had to be this show the actor actress then show the screen Mm. the screen of the phone you know if it really has to resort to that you know use it as a tool in the plot I would say largely it is not at all a tool for us to build horror suspension. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's 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 our time as the audience that we can rest and say, okay, it's not so crazy anymore. You know, it's not so horrific. Right, so, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I mean, mm-hmm. just, man, believe me, with how much of a knock uh, predictable aspects uh, of the film are, luckily the horror is there to... To bring up the scares, and there is there are some things in this film that are like shockingly horrific. Um, I'm talking, we're working with cosmic horror. Hmm. Uh, we're working with you know something that is truly weird, like capital W weird. Okay. Uh, and if you enjoy the later half of what Annihilation is, I think you still very well might enjoy this film because it's still hit for me despite these very generic aspects, and I mean almost 
you know, critically generic aspects of this, of how the story is layered. Yeah, what's weird is like you're getting, it sounds like you're getting very, very good, relatively good movie. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. just periods of not like cut that out completely. It, and, and we have a good film here. Cut out the, the friend character entirely. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's tough because I was really rooting for this film. But when I when I went back and, and was reviewing my notes and whatnot, I said, no, that's, yeah. I, I would rip any movie apart for this. I cannot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I cannot have horse blinders on yeah. for that uh, just because of how much I like the flavor of the horror mm-hmm. so and honestly as far as that that very weird cosmic unknown horror uh, I think um, honestly that is what you want uh, in these movies that's how I want my movies uh, I don't think you are getting into an average horror with this one despite this that, that knock that I, I just talked about but I, I think when you're watching this film, you're going to be looking for answers, and there really are no answers. Uh, this movie does not have training wheels when we're dealing with the actual horror. There is okay. not a lot explained. It is about uh, Harper and her healing from this kind of emotional trauma. Uh, but as far as the why these horrific, horrific things are happening... There is there is no no really? explanation. It is all visual storytelling, and I once again I give points for that. Uh, so horror it, is about lack of information. It is about right. the unknown. So is it the more you pay attention, the more you get, or just straight up this is not giving you much? <laughs> yeah, no, I believe me, I was paying attention. Okay. <laughs> I was really excited for this film too, because yeah. again, I really do love this. Director, you were. We talked so, about it. Yeah, yeah. I was. I was. I was concerned in. about. <laughs> I was concerned it was going to be some woke thing. I was like, I was <laughs> called men, of course. It's just this right, woman going on. Right. To all the men in this town. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, is that is that upsetting in a way because you're paying attention to this? It's got good horror beats, but then when nothing is answered, like I mean, you made the comment of mm-hmm. I like my horrors being like that, having mm-hmm. questions unanswered. Mm-hmm. Was it too many? It was uh, specifically with how this movie ends. It does end so abruptly that I felt. Mm. I mean, there was an air in the theater that like no one moved for the entire like credit sequence like everyone everyone was just, was like, just waiting yeah like is there probably when more? the sopranos ended <laughs> yeah yes a it little was bit, a little bit of that, like, like what the hell wait is really it? yeah yeah so, so be prepared really yes and, and i and in that uh and that's it kind of goes back to the piece that i was talking about that we put a pin in audience reception of this has been all over the map ah, um, okay gotcha. really all over the map and as a reviewer and as we've talked about on the podcast before that's the times i really get excited to talk about a movie because if I can help you folks at home navigate this a little bit through what I'm describing and, and maybe even go deeper beyond just a surface level score, I think that is what I like to do. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that is that is a good utility. It, 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 to absolutely. This. Yeah. yeah. So, um, again, lean in more so to my description of these factors, because I definitely don't want to talk about what could mean something what could be a theme with this because honestly i don't think anyone knows the answers and i think it's intentionally like that it's not the bad thing is 10 people see it 10 people you know those 10 people walk away with each having a different idea of what's mm-hmm. really going on mm-hmm. in its own sense that's okay yeah it's kind of interesting yeah exactly yeah. And I- i've heard people describe this as kind of along your lines tom that oh this is just a kind of a misogyny hit piece no that's how I. That's how I took it immediately the, from even honestly from the trailer. Sure, just because sure. in theaters it was it was playing a decent amount mm-hmm. before it came out, and then just the title alone, I was just like, here we go, here <laughs> right. we go. <laughs> right. Now you can usually parse through that relatively well. Sure, so can sure. Can you see why people are picking that up, or are you just like? 
after watching it, I mean. If, I, if I think I it's to, definitely a theme in the film, but by no means is it wouldn't the ruin it for me, film. who's no. a little bit more sensitive to that stuff. No, no, okay, right. I don't think so. But also at the same time, this is not your movie, Tom. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is not your movie for like ten ways to Sunday. So okay, <laughs> um, and folks at home, you know, maybe you know, kind of understand in, in the, the nuances of, of what I'm talking about here. If if, uh, if the my positive marks sound good to you, then maybe that's where we're aligned. If okay. not, no problem. Right, right. You know? uh, I, I think it, this is a, a difficult movie to talk about and one that honestly I'm still digesting in a lot of ways. What I want to stress, though, is that anyone that is calling heads or tails on this movie means this or the horror means this, I'm telling you, I was watching with very keen eyes and very keen ears and this is intentionally, there's a lot of misdirection within the film. Okay. Uh, specifically as well. So I think this is more so... The recommendation for this is that this is certainly not for everyone. Unfortunately, there's some generic aspects to the horror that knock it below what I believe Alex Garland's work has been so far, but still captures a very unique horror experience mm. and something that is quite shocking as well when you see it on screen. Okay. So uh, we are going to go ahead and give Men a 69. All right, 69, good score. Yeah. I think it's a good movie overall. But where both Ex Machina and Annihilation, yeah. high performing, if not on the verge of great, uh, this was definitely This was a decent, nuts down for, for yeah, Garland. Decent on the verge of solid. You know. Okay, so. and it, honestly, it's a, it's nice to have different take on horror as well. Yeah, and if you if you're redoing things a little bit, what did we have a couple weeks ago that you liked? I forget what it was, and it had the oh, drag me to hell. Yeah, where it's yeah. just like it was Sam Raimi, mm -hmm. and it's just nice to at least there's people doing things differently. Sure, sure. So as you said, if if people are into that kind of thing mm -hmm. and what you're talking about, they would enjoy that. Then I think absolutely a, a film for them. Absolutely, and I think it's 69. Don't forget that's a good score for us. Yeah, yeah. And if there was going to be a subgenre to a cosmic horror mm. it, that is defined by no answers and this film has no answers to give okay <laughs> be warned <laughs> yeah be warned exactly uh, I, I enjoy it but I'm not one that needs closure you know if anything a critique of what uh, Send of a Woman at the beginning right, of the right. podcast was too too much of a nice bow on it you know <laughs> this is this is no bow no present <laughs> awesome Vin uh, okay Vin so anything you'd like to add to this uh, or are we gonna roll credits here no, I think we're good. I, I really enjoyed this week. I mean, I love the array. all over the map. It, it, was, yeah. it was all over the map. Different yeah. array of scores as well. Even even watching Mincemeat, it was like, should I just wait until next week for Top Gun? We'll do like a war theme. But at the same time, I, I, I like doing the theme weeks. At the same time, I... I do also enjoy just a like jumble this week. is this is what I watch every, uh, throughout the week, and I'm here to talk about. Absolutely, it, you know I mean? no, I love it. I love it, so. and it's just it's all over the place, and, and that in and of itself is is great mm -hmm. a little bit. So, mm -hmm. all right, Vin, we appreciate you stopping by as always. And folks at home, we're going to run this through one more time here. We have Scent of a Woman with a 78 percent, Showgirls with a 26, The Bad Guys with a 75, Operation Mincemeat with a 61, and men with a 69 percent we thank you so much for listening and to our two executive producers this week and folks we'll see you next week on the daily ratings podcast if you enjoyed the podcast if you would give us a good rating or tell a friend about us if you're wondering if a film is worth a watch, or if you'd just like to see more movie ratings from Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com. 
where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the Donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us. You'll get a producer mention on the next podcast episode, too. We're looking to build this into something large and great, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.